right. Oop. Dropping things already. Let's see if I can get all my papers in order. And I have a lot of papers tonight. <laughs> Yay. Well, did you have a good day? Yes. Good. Good, I'm glad. I'm missing one. There it is. <laughs> All right. So um, let's pray and then let's get into the word. Ready? Father, we just thank you so much for tonight. We thank you, Father, for everyone that's here. We pray, Lord, that you will open up this subject to us as we talk about praying in other tongues. I thank you, Father, that you're going to help us. You're going to help us to receive understanding. Even if we already pray in other tongues, you're going to help us to receive understanding so we can help someone else. And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that we will grow and increase tonight, that we will grow in our spirit, that we'll be able to live from our spirit even greater. And we thank you, Lord, for everything that you're imparting to us tonight from your word. We receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, what a good day. <laughs> so we are talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when we started, we said the baptism of the Holy Spirit is being immersed. And we know what baptism in water looks like. You go down and you come back up, but then you dry off. So that's one kind of baptism. But then there's another kind of baptism. And the Bible talks about two different kinds of baptism. When we are baptized into the body of Christ and born again, our baptism in water represents what we did. We, we were uh, we died, we were buried, and we raised with him. But there's another baptism. And this baptism is the baptism in the Holy Spirit, where our whole soul is diffused with the power of the Holy Spirit. And we are completely immersed in him, and there's a life change. So it's not necessarily you go down, you come up, and then you dry off. You know, and we said you can baptize anything. You can baptize a donut and coffee. You can baptize your cookie and milk. But then you take a bite and it's over, right? I mean, that's the end of that baptism. But then when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's more like being pickled. Because a pickle used to be a vegetable, but now when you're a, a pickle, you're something completely different. You're no longer in the produce aisle. Now you're in a whole separate place. You're a condiment. Now you're a whole different thing. And that's what happens when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. We're a whole different kind of Christian. We're an empowered Christian. And so now, because we've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, we have power for living. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about power for your calling. That's the name of the message tonight, power for your calling. So this was not a suggestion when Jesus told them to go and wait for what the Father had promised. When we looked at Acts chapter 1, verse 4, Jesus said, wait, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he told them what would happen when they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. He said, you'll receive power. Now we looked at this word power and it's the word dunamis. So what is dunamis? What kind of power did they receive? Well, dunamis in the definition means this. It means strength, power, and ability. And this isn't just, uh, you know, like a, a Red Bull <laughs> where you get a shot of strength and then you have some energy. No, this is a lasting change that takes place. We have God's strength, power, and ability. And then another part of this definition is inherent power, power residing in a thing by its virtue, its nature, or which a person or a thing exerts or puts forth. Power for performing miracles. That's another part. You know, 
Jesus didn't say, I suggest, or maybe you might want to think about going to be endued with power. No, he said, I am giving you a command, go and wait. Why? Because he knew that we would need this kind of power, power that would give us strength, power and ability, power for performing miracles. And then it goes on and it says, moral power and excellence of soul. Do you know that when they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, there was something that happened on the inside of them that gave them that want to, to live in a different way? And there was power for that, moral power and excellence of soul. And then it goes on and it says, the power and influence which belong to riches and wealth, power and resources arising from numbers, Power consisting or resting upon armies, forces, or hosts. And when Rick Renner defined this word, he said, it's literally the power where we would look at a, a hurricane. It's that kind of force and power. It's literally the power when you put a number of people together and they are an army, an unconquerable army. Well, see, he knew we would need that kind of power. He knew as the church we would need it. And so it's the beginning of the church, and Jesus wanted us to have power. In Luke 24, 49, he says, Wait, and you will be, the New King James says, endued with power from on high. But the Amplified says it this way, You will be clothed with power. And I love that. It's like a cloak that we put on that we never take off. We're clothed in power. The New Living Translation says it this way. It says, the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. What, where is the origination of this power? It's power from heaven. And then the Passion Translation says it this way. I will send the fulfillment of the Father's promise to you so stay here in the city until mighty power of heaven falls upon you and wraps around you. Don't you love that? I, I love the passion because it talks about his wraparound presence going with us. But this is what he's talking about in this dunamis power. It's a power that wraps around us. And he is our ever-present help right here where we are. So power for what? Well, to be my witnesses. That's what Jesus said. And in Acts 1.8, it says this. It says, but you shall receive power. The Amplified says, ability, efficiency, and might when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends, the very bounds of the earth. So your purpose and your call is to tell people about Jesus. Do we understand and know that? I mean, the Great Commission is what? It's to go into all the world and we tell people about Jesus. But Jesus knew that we would need power to be his witnesses. And so in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they were given power to be witnesses. Now, why would that power ever cease? Because the Great Commission is still happening. We're still telling people about Jesus. We're still going into all the world. And the Bible tells us we have to go into all the world before, with that message. Everyone needs to hear before he's coming again. So it's still a mandate. And in fact, when we continue praying in the Spirit and with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we live this empowered life. So there's so much to it. Um, as brand new Christians, my sister and I, we were in high school when we really came to know Jesus and were baptized in the Holy Spirit. But we spent a lot of time praying together, praying with each other. And it became really a foundation of things. We prayed out our future as teenagers we prayed out a whole bunch of things. We kept notes and we had experiences with God from the very beginning. And that empowered us to step into the things that we have stepped into as adults. It really prepared us and set the course for us. So um, we cultivated a prayer life and a relationship. Um, our prayer life 
really became the foundation for growth and for you know, the things that we stepped into. But you know what? It also became a source of healing for us. Praying through things and really walking through with the Holy Spirit was huge in our life. So we were empowered on a daily basis to really walk with him and walk out his plan. So the disciples, when Jesus told them, go and be endued with power, you know, they had been watching Jesus. And Jesus was endued with power. And everything that he did was with the Holy Spirit. Everything he did. From the very birth of Jesus, where the Holy, he was conceived in the Holy Spirit, to his death, every single thing he did was with the partnership of the Holy Spirit. So let me just, just recite a couple of these for you. We won't go to them. You can write them down. You can look them up later. If you have this book by Rick Renner, The Holy Spirit and You, he goes through in chapter 5, all of these and more. But I'll give you some. He says, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in Matthew 1.20. He was baptized by the Spirit in the Jordan, Matthew 3.16. Led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness and out of the wilderness, Luke 4. Empowered to minister by the Holy Spirit, again in Luke 4. He cast out demons by the Holy Spirit in Matthew 12. He taught and healed the sick in the power of the Holy Spirit in Luke chapter 5. Jesus was even crucified in the power of the Spirit and raised from the dead in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's Hebrews 9 and Romans 8, 11. In John 14, 15, and 16, he taught us all about the Holy Spirit. It's beautiful. I love those chapters. And then he gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2.33. Now, if he gives you a gift, if God is giving you a gift, if Jesus is giving you a gift, isn't that a gift worth receiving? I'm telling you, you can't get better gifts than the gifts that God gives. He gives good gifts. So from the beginning to the end, when you see Jesus, you see the Holy Spirit working with them. They are a constant team. And the disciples saw this. They saw the partnership. They saw the intimacy that he had with the Holy Spirit. They saw his prayer life. They saw how he moved in healing. They desired to do the things that Jesus did. And he prayed over them and he sent them out in that power and authority but there was a day when he wasn't going to be with them to impart. The Holy Spirit was going to be with them. And he would help them. So he saw, or they saw, the constant communion with the Holy Spirit. And no one knew better than Jesus the, the need that we would have for the Holy Spirit to help us to start the church, but to continue the church and to do the works that he did. Well, go with me over to John 4, 16. John 4, 16. So tonight, we're going to do a lot of reading <laughs> again. But you know what? We're going somewhere. We are going somewhere. And as we're building and as we're equipping ourselves, as we're really helping our our knowledge of the Holy Spirit and why he came and how we can flow with him, it's so important how we can help others to receive him and, and not be afraid, you know? There's a lot of things uh, that people are afraid of with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about some of that tonight. But um, there's no reason to be. We actually are given such a wonderful, wonderful gift in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So let's see, John 14, starting in verse 16, and it says this, it says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter, counselor, helper, intercessor, advocate, strengthener, and standby, that he may remain with you forever. The spirit of truth, 
whom the world cannot receive, welcome, or take into its heart, because it does not see him or know and recognize him, but you know and recognize him, for he lives with you constantly <laughs> and will be in you. Don't you love that? Jesus says you're going to recognize him and you're going to love him being in you. You already know him. He's with you constantly. Jesus, everything that he did was in the power of the Holy Spirit. They saw and they already desired. And it says, I will not leave you as orphans, comfortless, desolate, bereaved, forlorn, helpless. I will come back to you. Just a little while now, and the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. And at that time, when that day comes, you will know for yourselves that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. The person who has my commands and keeps them is the one who really loves me, and whomever really loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and will show, reveal, or manifest myself to him. If it will, or sorry, I will let myself be clearly seen by him and make myself real to him. Judas, not Iscariot, asked the Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself and make yourself real to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered, if a person really loves me, he will keep my word, obey my teaching, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home, our abode, our special dwelling place with him. Anyone who does not really love me, does not observe and obey my teaching, and the teaching which you hear and heed is not mine, but comes from the Father who sent me. I have told you these things while I am still with you, but the Comforter, Counselor, Helper, Intercessor, Advocate, Strengthener, stand by the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, in my place to represent me and act on my behalf. He will teach you all things, and he will cause you to recall and remind you and bring to your remembrance, everything I have told you. You know, I love that. He said he was sending one exactly of the same kind as himself, the spirit of truth. He was coming and he was going to be with us, the comforter. And I love what Rick Renner says about this. He says um, this. He says, this Greek word, another comforter, this word another, this Greek word conveys a strong message about the Holy Spirit. The verse could be translated, I will pray to the Father and he will send you someone who is just like me in every way. He will be identical to me in the way I speak, in the way I operate, in the way I see things, in the way I do things. He will be exactly like me in every way. When he is present, it will be just as if I am present because we think, behave, and operate the same. Don't you love that? You know, some people say, well, I'm comfortable with Jesus. I know Jesus lives, you know, in me. I accepted Jesus, but I don't want the Holy Spirit. <laughs> well, guess what? <laughs> number one, they are one. And number two, <laughs> he is exactly, exactly just like Jesus. Why would we not want the gift of the Holy Spirit? So in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is really a primary figure. Um, the disciples walked and talked with Jesus. They saw how he interacted. They saw the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, you know him. He is with you, but he will be in you. And so in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 261 times. 261 times. He is a primary figure. He is not secondary. He is not an afterthought. And guess what? The Holy Spirit was not plan B. Right. <laughs> it wasn't that Jesus was the best, and now that Jesus had to be crucified, well, I guess the Holy Spirit is going to come. <laughs> no. The Holy Spirit was intended to come and was a gift for us because the Holy Spirit could be in every single one of us and upon us. 
So the spirit within and the spirit upon would empower us to really be the church and grow the church and do exactly what Jesus did with a small group of people, but now it's, it's gone viral, right? It's gone worldwide because of the Holy Spirit. So 56 times in the Gospels he's mentioned, 57 times in the book of Acts alone, 112 times in the epistles of Paul, and 36 times in the remaining book, the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit. And here's something wonderful about God. He never digresses in his creation and in his plan. He takes us higher and higher and higher. We will always go from one degree of glory to the next degree of glory. We will always go better and bigger and more with him. He doesn't do less. And so when the Holy Spirit came, it wasn't something that was less. It was something that was more for them. You know, sometimes people say, well, if you pray in the Spirit, do you think you're better than me? No, I think because I pray in the Spirit that I'm better than me because he makes me more than me. He's so much bigger and he makes me better. There's so much that he brings to our life. It's that ability efficiency and might of God. So here's an example too, and Pastor Mark was just talking about this this morning. When we talk about grace versus the law, you know, the law made people obey the law so that they could obtain a level of righteousness so God could move in their midst. Well, when grace came, grace wasn't something lesser, it was something greater and then they even had the thought, you know, should we sin so that grace could abound? No. Grace is to empower you so you don't have to ever sin. Grace is the empowerment. So God always takes us to another level. Always bigger, always better. Always better. So in the book of Acts, you know, we talked about last week about there was a pattern a pattern of salvation and then baptism of the Holy Spirit. Those two graces, uh, salvation, which is free, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is a free gift. We don't earn either one of those. But there was a pattern of being saved and then baptized in the Holy Spirit. And, you know, we look at the book of Acts as a book of history of the early church, and it is, but guess what? It's a pattern as well. It's a pattern of what church should look like. And so I was thinking about this, and I brought this pattern. So when Carrie was in high school, we had to make a costume for her, and it was a poodle skirt costume. So, you know, she was being a 50s girl person. So we bought a pattern. And when you buy a pattern, you take out the pieces, and there's like a template in here. So you get all the pieces, and you cut it out, and then you get whatever fabric you're going to use, and you begin to put the pieces together to make the picture that's on the front. Well, when we say the book of Acts is a pattern, this is a pattern for the early church. It's a pattern of what church should look like. See, church should be people getting saved and healed and delivered and demons cast out and their lives restored. And church should be people coming to know him and being baptized in the Holy Spirit. It should be all of those things. And while you might have a red skirt with a Scotty dog on it or a blue skirt with a poodle on it or a black one with a kitty cat on it, you know, churches are going to look a little different. But the pattern is all the same. And the pattern is the book of Acts. So when we see what happened in the book of Acts, this is what church should look like. And in the Bible, firsts and lasts are always very important. Jesus' last words were, go and be endued with power. And then we see the first church and the pattern of how they worked with that power. So it's very important to us that we look at the pattern. So we've been studying and really taking time to go through the scriptures. And so... Let's ask this question tonight. So who can speak with other tongues? Who can speak? We touched on this last week, but who can speak? Uh, when we talk about this in Acts 2.39, he told us this. 
For the promise of the Holy Spirit is to and for you and your children and to and for all that we see far away, even to and for as many as the Lord our God invites and bids to come to himself. See, when we look at this scripture, anyone, he has invited the whole world to come to himself. So anyone can be baptized in the Holy Spirit and can pray in other tongues. And do you know that's a mental block that sometimes people have because of teaching? Sometimes they've been taught that there's only a few that can pray in other tongues, that it's maybe a, a few people who have been given that gift. We're going to define and show that anybody can pray in other tongues. But then there's a ministry of tongues in the church that, yeah, you have to be flowing with him to flow in that. But prayer life is different. Any one of us could pray in other tongues. So 1 Corinthians 14.5 says this, Now I wish that you might all speak in other tongues, other unknown tongues. All of you, all of you speak in tongues. He, that was his desire. Was it possible? Oh, absolutely. It was possible. And we looked at those five different places in the New Testament where we saw each time they were baptized in the Holy Spirit and they spoke with other tongues. In 1 Corinthians 14.8, he says this, I thank my God that I speak in strange tongues, languages, more than any of you or all of you put together. Oh, I like that. Uh, he says, I pray in tongues more than all of you. <laughs> and in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, he says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Desire, that's a very important word, desire spiritual gifts. You know, sometimes we're taught that I shouldn't necessarily seek after things of the Spirit, that God will just put that on me if he wants me, you know, to go that far. No, the truth is we need to desire. We need to have a desire. And Rick Renner defines it this way. He says, a word intended to imitate the sound of boiling water, and this is basically from the Strongs as well, to bubble over because something is so hot to burn with zeal. That's the kind of desire we should have for things of the Spirit. And then it goes on and it says, to be earnest to set one's heart upon, to be completely intent upon. It is where we get the word zeal. So zealous, if you're zealous for something, we should be zealous for the things of God, full of zeal for the things of God. So as we looked through the book of Acts last week, we saw that in all of the places where it talked about baptism of the Holy Spirit and where they went into other cities and prayed for people, there was not a record of anyone being told no. Did you notice that last week? Not anyone who desired was told no. And they weren't told to wait, and they weren't refused. <laughs> you know, sometimes we have those ideas that we have to wait for something. But no, we don't, actually. At any point, if we yield to him, we can be baptized in the Holy Spirit and we can pray in other tongues. Yeah. That's powerful to know that. So why do some people pray immediately and why do some people have a more difficult time? Let's talk about that because sometimes maybe you were one of them. It took you a while to break through in praying with other tongues. Maybe you received right away and you uh, prayed you know, and just had uh, fluent tongues. Well, have you ever prayed with somebody that had a difficult time? And then sometimes we don't know what to do. We think, well, I mean, I know they're supposed to get it, but what's going on? Why are they not able to pray? So this will help us as we begin to share this and pray with others. This will help us. So there, this is what John Osteen said. He has a great little book, and it's out of print right now. Um, and maybe they'll, they'll put it back in print, but it's called Hindrances to Receiving the Baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's just a small little book, but this is what he says. He says, so many people in our world who belong to Jesus still need the rest and the refreshment and the power of God in their lives. Yet, they are held back from receiving it because, in a sense, it is a humiliating experience. You know, you have to yield. 
You have to yield to him. And a lot of people just don't want to give up their voice and begin talking in something they don't know. And you know, it's even that way when we learn another natural language. Sometimes we're so timid to start saying those words because we don't know if they'll come out right. He goes on and he says this. He says, God's spirit humbles you because to receive the baptism, you must empty yourself of pride. I know because my Baptist pride was as high as the heavens. <laughs> I had my degrees and I had a successful ministry. Why was why it was humiliating to think that I would be asked to identify with people who talked in other tongues. Do you see the problem? You see, you must overcome pride to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes that's the biggest hindrance, just somebody letting their voice go, letting their voice express what's in their heart, what's in their spirit. And then he says this, he says, the power of the Spirit comes from within not from above. I had a misconception about where the power of the Holy Spirit came from. When I asked God to pour out his spirit upon me, I looked for that power to come from above. And so many times we think that too. We're waiting for something to fall on us. We're waiting for a change. We're waiting for, you know, that uh, just to be overtaken. And now, you know, that's not happening. So, where is it happening? Well, there's something happening in here. And we have to help people locate what's happening on the interior of their spirit. And there will be words that are coming up that, that if we just begin to make those syllables, those sounds, we can release that gift. So then he goes on and he says, the power of the Holy Spirit doesn't come from above, but from within. Jesus said that the power of the Spirit would come forth from the innermost part of your being, flowing like rivers of living water. As a born-again believer, you already have the power of the Holy Spirit within you, waiting to be released to God in the prayer language of the Spirit. Releasing the flow of the Spirit within is as natural and easy as breathing in and breathing out. Don't you love that? It's as easy as breathing in and breathing out. And then he says, all of us in times of great consecration or intercessory prayer have felt the rising tide of the Holy Spirit within us. We just didn't know it was the moving of God ready to overflow our lives with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When you feel the Spirit rising within you, let it come forth over your vocal cords and you will speak with other tongues. I love that. So Brother Hagen shared this. He said, if people don't speak right away, he said they either have a faith problem, which is a head problem, or a yielding problem, which is a heart problem. He said uh, it takes faith to speak with other tongues, and it takes a yielded heart and mind. So we have to, you know, get rid of the things in our head. It's a head problem. We have to get rid of that. Sometimes it's old teaching. Sometimes it's thinking it's not for me. Sometimes it's believing something like it has passed away or it's, it's getting those things out of our head so we can listen and flow with him. But what about a heart thing? Well, that's the pride and the insecurities and those kind of things. And we have to set that aside too. So there has to be a, a moving and a yielding to the Holy Spirit. And do you remember Smith Wigglesworth when we read that testimony last week? He said that he argued and argued and said, I already have the Holy Spirit. I already have as much of the Holy Spirit as I need. But then he wanted tongues. <laughs> so he needed more, apparently. He needed the baptism of the Holy Spirit where he is upon us, not just in us, but upon us. So let's talk about how we receive the gift of tongues. Go with me over to Luke 11, 11. Luke 11, 11. How do we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Now, for us who've already received it, this helps us to know how to pray with somebody. So Luke 11, 11 says this. It says, what father among you 
If his son asks for a loaf of bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, being evil as you are, or natural, carnal, is what he's talking about, and you know how to give good gifts that are to their advantage to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask and continue to ask him. Oh, I love this. It tells us how we receive. We ask. We ask. But then it answers one of the questions. You know, sometimes people have a, a stigma because either through teaching or through experience, they think that the praying in other tongues is of the devil. Or, if I don't know what I'm saying, how do I know I'm talking to God? Maybe the devil's going to give me something. Well, no, he's not. He answers that. He says, if you ask me for that gift, and I'm the one giving it, you think I'm going to give you something that's not what you asked for? I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. You don't have to have a fear of that. So how do we first get filled? Well, we ask. We ask. And many in the Bible that we looked at last week received the baptism of the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands. That's one way you can ask and you can have somebody lay hands on you and help you to receive by praying with you. You know, every time our altar care team is up here, um, they are ready to pray with people to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. After every single service, they'll be up here waiting for you and they will lay hands on you and believe with you and pray with you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's one way that you can receive. That's how I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I had people in my church that uh, prayed over me and I was very timid, really shy, and I didn't want to speak out very much. And so it took me getting home where I was comfortable to really explore and really let myself pray. And once I did pray, I found that it was a flow that I didn't want to stop praying. My sister and I were teenagers. We were not going out on Friday night. Part of it was because we weren't allowed to. But we were in our basement praying. We were doing things that, that took us further in the call of God. So once that gift was opened up to me, oh my goodness, it became a flow of life. It was so wonderful to me. But here's Brother Hagen's uh, testimony of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it is in this book uh, called Tongues Beyond the Upper Room. So let's see, I have lots of pages marked and I hope I marked where, <laughs> I didn't write down what page number it was. All right, I don't know if I wrote in it. Okay. Uh, okay, so he had a lot of teaching. He had ideas from a number of different denominations. He had ideas from different people, and he was not sure which direction was God. And so he says this, I had told the Lord what all of the other preachers had said, but he was hungry. He was hungry for God. He said, I told the Lord what all the other preachers said. I had told him what I thought about it, and finally made up my mind which direction to go. And as I related earlier, suddenly I heard the Lord speaking to me by his spirit on the inside of me, as plain as, as can be. He asked, what does Acts 2.39 say? Well, the Holy Ghost knew that I knew what Acts 2.39 said, or he wouldn't have asked me. I immediately answered, still walking down the street. It says, for the promise is unto you and your children and all that are far off and as many as the Lord God shall call. What promise is that? Said the inward voice. I thought about verse 38, the verse that I had used so many times to preach the message on repent and be baptized. And then the voice said, what does the latter part of verse 38 say? I replied, it says, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. But Lord, I do believe in the Holy Ghost and I'm born in the spirit. And I wouldn't say that I'm filled, but at least I know the Holy Ghost. 
After all, it's the Holy Ghost talking to me right now. <laughs> it's those tongues that I don't know about, Lord. And then, just as plain as anything, the inward voice said, What does Acts 2.4 say? I knew what Acts 2.4 said. I could quote it. But I didn't realize that the Holy Ghost was about to open up that verse to me in a way I had never seen before. I answered, Acts 2.4 says, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. Oh, 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 I see, I get it, I exclaimed. This was the gift of the Holy Ghost that was given when the believers were filled. They began to speak. So if I get full of the same Holy Ghost who got me born again, <laughs> then I'm going to begin to speak just like they did. Well, I'll just go down to the Pentecostal preacher's house right now and get filled with the Holy Ghost. <laughs> he says, I went into the living room and I knelt by the large chair and the pastor and the evangelist didn't tell me to do it. I just had an inner urge to do it. I could hear the sound of the two men's voices, but I don't didn't know which one. Uh, but I don't know one word they said. I just shut my ears to all the outside noise, and then I remember when I got healed, I lifted my hands. So I closed my eyes, I lifted my hands, and I started praying. I said, "Now, Lord, I've come here to receive the Holy Ghost." I told the Lord again in prayer what the denominational pastors had said what the Pentecostal people had said, what the Bible says in Acts 2. And then I said, by faith I was born again, and by faith I received healing, and now by faith I received the Holy Ghost. I want to thank you, Heavenly Father, because I am now filled with the Holy Ghost, and now I expect to speak with other tongues as the Holy Ghost gives me utterance. And I'm not going to be satisfied until I do. I expect to speak with tongues just like the believers did on the day of Pentecost and just like they did throughout the book of Acts. And then I quoted him all the Bible evidence about speaking in other tongues. <laughs> I continued praising the Lord and the Holy, that the Holy Spirit will give me utterance and I'll speak with other tongues. I thank you for it. And then I said hallelujah about eight or ten times, never feeling so dry and dead in all my life. <laughs> Don't you love that? <laughs> he says, um, <laughs> in, in fact, it seemed like I almost choked on those hallelujahs. After all, we weren't used to saying anything <laughs> that, that, uh, in our church where I was raised, but I didn't stop just because I didn't feel anything. To tell you the truth about the matter, I've never had so much patience with folks who say, well, I didn't feel anything, so I guess it isn't working for me. What do feelings have to do with anything? And then I'm going to skip ahead. He says, well, I never saw a beam of light or a ball of fire, but I'll tell you what did happen to me. Even though I had my eyes shut, suddenly it seemed like there was a blazing bonfire down inside of me. Well, I didn't know what to expect as I prayed, Lord, if that burning fire doesn't stop, I'm going to have to quit this. <laughs> then it was as if I could see strange words bo boiling up inside of me. It seemed to me that I'd know what those words were if I had just started speaking them, so I did. And tongues just flowed out of me. I opened my eyes and I looked at my watch. After all, of the Bible says watch and pray. It was eight minutes past six. I'd only been kneeling in prayer at the full gospel pastor's home for eight minutes. But I kept on speaking with other tongues for over an hour and a half. And I sang three songs in tongues. <laughs> oh, and I couldn't, I, I could, it says, oh, I could have quit if I wanted to, but I didn't want to. It doesn't take long to receive the Holy Ghost when you take God at his word. See, I love that. He had to break through, and he even had those moments where he just didn't know what to say. He was like, hallelujah, 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 and he said, I felt dry and dead. <laughs> but what did he do? He kept pressing through. He kept pressing through. He kept on doing it. So 
uh, in the testimony of Brother Hagen, he had hands laid on him by those two pastors. Um, sometimes we can just ask, desire, hunger, and we can be baptized in the Holy Spirit too. We have a friend who that was exactly how he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. He was on the golf course. He hit a really good shot. He raised his hands to praise the Lord, and then he started praying in other tongues. Well, his wife had been trying to get him to pray in other tongues and, and believing that he would and even, you know, prayed for him, but he had not yet spoken. And so then he went home to his wife and he prayed in tongues to her face. And because he spoke another language, she said, don't speak to me like that. You know I can't understand it. And he said, I'm not speaking to you in my language. I'm speaking to you in tongues. <laughs> I thought that was the funniest story. He just raised his hands, and when he praised the Lord, because he was so happy and yielded, he prayed in other tongues. But you know, there's many people like that. Remember Cornelius and his household? When we saw them in the word, it says, while Peter was yet speaking, they all began to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and pray in other tongues. It just came upon them because of their heart desire. So, you know, Pastor Mark is one of those as well. Pastor Mark was just filled in his car because he had a hunger and a desire, and he prayed for himself. Do you want to tell that testimony? You can? Do you want to? Okay. <laughs> sure, stand up. Come into my service. Stand up here. Praise the Lord. Mm. Many of you have heard this testimony, but um, I had been raised in denominational church, heard all the th reasons why you shouldn't pray in tongues, why you can't pray in tongues. It's of the devil. It's only for some people. So when I started going to a full gospel church and heard people praying in tongues, and I knew those people, I grew up in that town, and I was almost 100% sure that they were not of the devil. So that question started to be thrown out, and then it's not for everybody, which seemed all right because it was kind of weird anyway. So maybe if it's not for me, that would be all right. But, you know, I started to grow in God and, and uh, had actually uh, led my girlfriend to the Lord. And, uh, you know, so I was out playing baseball one night, uh, came back the next day. She went to church, came back, and uh, she was different. She was noticeably different. I couldn't put my finger on it, but she was noticeably different. So I asked her what happened. Why she was different, you know, couldn't tell if she grew a mustache or something, just something was different about her. And she said, well, I got filled with the Holy Ghost last night. Well, again, I'm just competitive enough to say if I led her to the Lord and now she has something filled with the Holy Spirit that changed her life, I was just like, now something's wrong with this to me. And so when I went out and got in my car to go home, I said, all right, God, if this is real, I'm throwing out all this other teaching and stuff. I know her well enough to know she's not of the devil. I, I, if I led her to the Lord, then, you know, why would I not have something that she has that changes her life? So I'm throwing all of that out the window. I'm driving in my car, and I just said, okay, so all that other stuff I'm throwing out, if the baptism of the Holy Spirit is real. And I had heard enough in the full gospel church to know Acts chapter 2 that they began to speak. Mm -hmm. So I began to worship him, and driving there in my car, uh, man, just a flow came out of my belly that just started to be in other tongues. And I just began to pray and drove and prayed and really just got uh, inebriated in the Holy Ghost that day because I got so filled and uh, overflowing with the Spirit of God. So I just invited him throughout all the other teaching, took what the book of Acts said, because I'd experienced a change, not just people praying in tongues and going, okay, this is me against you, or maybe that's you have it and I don't. I saw something that just from one night of being filled with the Holy Spirit, I could sense a change in somebody. Not because there was a radical difference that you could, I just sensed there's something different that has happened in your life in the last 24 hours. What is it? The Holy Spirit's that powerful. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is that powerful that when you get pickled, yeah, right, it's different. Pickled, <laughs> that's right. What, amen. <laughs> The scripture that he was just referring to and that we referred to earlier, it's John 7, 37, and it says this. It says, now on the final and most important day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried with a loud voice, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and...
and drink. He who believes in me, who cleaves to, trusts in, and relies on me, as the scripture has said, from his innermost being, will flow continuously springs and rivers of living water. But he was speaking here of the Spirit, whom those who believed, trusted, had faith in him, were afterward to receive. For the Holy Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified and raised to honor. Wow. So the Holy Spirit, and, and you know, we can pray in other tongues. If you have somebody that you're praying with that has that blockage, you know, they, they don't understand why they're not praying, just go through some of those things. Okay, you have to yield your voice. Your voice has to make noise and, and get past the, the doubts by showing them the word. You know, we've been so good to show you all kinds of scriptures and there's, and there's uh, so many that will really, if we see the scriptures, it'll help us. Okay, so one of the last things I'm going to talk about tonight is uh, being baptized in the Holy Spirit is not for a particular denomination. You know, a lot of people, they say the Pentecostals, they speak in other tongues, the Charismatics, those full Gospels. Well, yes, we do. But guess what? A lot of denominations do. A lot of them. And I wanted to share with you this uh, testimony about being baptized in the Holy Spirit from this Catholic priest. It's from the Catholic link where they share a lot of different, uh, uh, a lot of different uh, testimonies and articles. And this is from a Catholic priest. And I just love his testimony. He says, for whatever reason, the gift of tongues has become one of the most controversial gifts of the Holy Spirit. So before you dismiss this post because of something you may have previously heard or experienced relating to the gift of tongues, I encourage you to read on. He says, I remember the moment that I received the gift of praying in other tongues clearly. It was about 12 years ago, a group of us were spending time in prayer while preparing for a retreat. When one of the ministry team members placed his hand on my shoulder and began to intercede for me, he was praying for him. In a low voice, I too was praising and praying to God. All of the sudden, I found myself praying with a greater intensity in words and sounds that I couldn't understand. And as best as I could describe, my prayer was being articulated from deep within my heart. I was, it was powerful and I felt captured by the Holy Spirit. Over the years, I have learned to better understand and develop this gift, using it in my own personal prayer times, as well as in ministry situations. When praying for other people, what's always struck me is how, in each scenario, the Holy Spirit's action in drawing people closer to God, myself included, through the use of the gift of tongues is undeniable. I love this. When we pray in other tongues, we are drawn because it's a spirit-to-spirit -spirit communication. There is nothing closer. It's the most, it's the highest kind of prayer. It's the most intimate kind of prayer. Now he goes on and he says, the gift of tongues is listed in the catechism of the Catholic Church. And one of the charisms, uh, charisma of, intended for the common good of the church the congregation for the doctrine of the faith is also stated that tongues could also be seen as a gift that is useful for our personal relationship with God. He lists a lot more about that, but then he goes on and says this. If you're interested in receiving the gift of tongues, all you have to do is ask God for it, either in your own personal prayer time or alternatively seek out a prayer group near you and ask them to pray for you to receive the gift. Praising and worshiping God through the exercise of the gift of tongues has certainly contributed to the fire and the zeal that I have for Christ and his church. Think about it. If God wants to give you a gift, are you really going to decline a gift from God? <laughs> Don't you love that? And it's really true. So when I went to Bible college, I went to Rama Bible College, which is, you know, Rama is a full gospel, spirit-filled ministry. But my roommate was Catholic. 
And she was wonderful to have as a roommate. She enlightened me to all kinds of wonderful things. But she was from Iowa, and her Catholic church was a spirit-filled church. And so they had a spirit-filled priest. They had uh, all kinds of great things going on. One time during our time at Bible college, um, one of the nuns from her parish came and stayed with us, and we took her in her nun habit and everything to a Russ Taft concert, and we <laughs> worshiped and praised God and just, you know, loved the music, and she stayed with us, and we had wonderful times of prayer together in the Spirit. And so it's not a denominational thing either. There are many denominations that pray in other tongues. And so my uh, roommate, when she left Bible college, went back to the Catholic Church to work in the youth ministry, to work and to really uh, help kids to get on fire for God. So it's not a denominational thing. And sometimes we think that, oh, that's that church. Well, I guarantee you there's a whole lot of churches where there are people that are baptized in the Holy Spirit. So the Great Commission is all about, uh, go with me over to Mark 16, 15, and we'll end with this tonight. The Great Commission is all about going forth, but going forth in power. So power to fulfill our call. We need that. Oh, yeah, I want to read one other thing, too. Okay, so Mark 16. I've, I've passed it several times. <laughs> Mark 16, verse 15. And then next week we'll get into more about... Uh, praying in other tongues, but we're also going to talk about our personal prayer life, and we're going to talk about how it, it is in, when we go into 1 Corinthians chapter 14, how uh, he compares uh, the ministry of praying in tongues and the per personal prayer of praying in tongues. So, okay, Mark 16, 15 is where we're going. And it says, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach and publish openly the good news, the gospel to every creature of the whole human race. He who believes, who adheres to and trusts in and relies on the gospel and him whom it sets forth and is baptized will be saved from the penalty of eternal death. But he who does not believe who does not adhere to and trust in and rely on the gospel and him whom it sets forth will be condemned. And those, these attesting signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak with new languages. They will pick up serpents. And even if they drink anything deadly, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will get well. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God. So he left this, what we call the Great Commission. But do you notice here several times, he says, those who believe, those who believe, those who believe will what? They'll get saved if they believe. They'll speak in tongues if they believe. They'll pray for those and they'll get well if they believe. Why is it that so many don't speak in other tongues? They're not believing to speak in other tongues, right? So praise God for the gift of praying in other tongues. And I love this too. He says, you will speak with new tongues. This word new is a word that means fresh, vibrant, alive. It means recent, unused, unworn unprecedented, novel, not common. <laughs> when we pray, every time we pray, we can speak with new tongues. And not only is the Holy Spirit flowing with us in a fresh way, but we're praying out things that are fresh and new. And I love that. So, you know, we're just, we're continuing on this, and uh, when we get together next week, we'll talk more about praying in other tongues, but it's so good to have this foundation, and you know, when uh, the renters were just here, and when they were here, Rick said, I don't know why believers who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit do not pray in tongues every day. 
why they'll let years go by or months go by without praying in other tongues. And you know what? I don't either, especially when we can speak with new tongues every day. It keeps our prayer life fresh and alive with the Spirit, with what He wants to pray. So, all right, we're going to end there tonight. Why don't you stand with me? If you are being inspired and you're ready and this is your night to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, I want to invite you to come up. Our altar care team is going to be here and they are ready to pray with you. If you need healing in your body, they'll pray with you for that. If you want salvation, they'll pray with you for that. And if you want the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they will pray with you tonight. But I'll tell you what a powerful and wonderful gift. And I hope that our eyes and our spirits are being opened to a greater degree of what is really available to us. You don't want to miss next week. It's going to be so good. Um, there is so much more. Well, let's pray as we go. Say, uh, I'll say it. Don't repeat. Let's <laughs> see. Father, we just thank you for this wonderful time. We thank you, Father God. Oh, for your word that's being opened up to us. I pray, Father, everything that we have heard tonight, everything that we have received tonight, that we would meditate on that word, that that word would grow in us, that we would, it would really cultivate a hunger and a desire for more of you. I thank you, Father. Every one of these that we have spoken about had a hunger and a desire for more of you. And that's where it starts. Stir it in us, Lord. Stir in us a greater hunger and desire for spiritual things. I thank you, Father. That would bubble up in us. We would bubble over. We would have such zeal for things of the Spirit. Oh, Father, we thank you that you're filling us as we ask. And Father, when we have that kind of desire, you meet us. You meet us. And so I just pray that, Father, for all kinds of Holy Ghost meetings this week in every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. amen. Well, say this as we go. What God did in Christ Jesus far exceeds any damage done to me by Adam's fall. Amen.